U.S. Arab Radio Network presents Season 3 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist Ray Hanania explores issues facing Arab Americans on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. And now, your host, Ray Hanania. Watch the show live on Arab News Facebook page. And welcome to our radio show today. It is June 28, 2023. And this is Season 3, Episode 9 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show. Eid Mubarak, a blessed holiday to our Muslim friends during this important holiday week. The Hajj is an annual Islamic pilgrimage to Mecca, Saudi Arabia, the holiest city for Muslims. Hajj is a mandatory religious duty for Muslims that must be carried out at least once in their lifetime by all. It began this week on Monday evening, June 26th, and it will end this Saturday, July 1st. I'm going to explore the experience of the Hajj to Mecca in Saudi Arabia and the important role that the kingdom plays in accommodating more than 2 million worshipers, pilgrims who go there and are there now this week. In segment one, we'll talk with Lema El-Hamawi, a reporter with Arab News, who'll discuss the mechanics and experience of the Hajj that is now taking place in Saudi Arabia and explore the massive operation that is required to accommodate and provide food, water, assistance, and a place to stay during the week-long religious event for more than 2 million people. And in segment two, we'll speak with Imam Mohammed Bashar Arafat, the founder and president of Civilizations Exchange and Cooperation Foundation, CECF, which provides religious and cultural training, consultation, and support to the Youth Exchange Studies Program for students from more than 70 countries in a program co-sponsored by the U.S. State Department. Aman Arafat will talk about the Hajj, its meaning, and also look at how the Muslim community has grown and achieved greater acceptance from mainstream Americans. But first, before we get to our guest, let's take a quick break here at the U.S. Arab Radio Network. This show is sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region. We will be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from Grandma's singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, Later, skater. gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Shout her 
Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired by alcohol or drugs. If you're impaired and you know it, don't drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical Physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. I want to welcome my guest, Arab News journalist, Lema El-Hamawi, who will talk to us about the Hajj this week and the role that Saudi Arabia plays in hosting it every year. Welcome to the radio show, Lema. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Ray? I'm doing very well, and we so appreciate you joining us to talk to us about this very important subject in Islamic religion and the huge Muslim community around the world. Give us a little idea first. Explain what is the Hajj? Well, firstly, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I think it's so important to sit down and discuss rituals, rituals taking place within Islam. Um, at the end of the day, the way I see it, it's these sort of conversations that bind us together as humans. Uh, they build tolerance, understanding, and mutual respect for beliefs. And I think that all begins by sitting down and having conversations like this one. Uh, to give you a better idea of what Hajj is, Every faith has a set of beliefs and basis for their values and rituals. And in Islam, we have our five pillars that are our five pillars of Islam that sort of solidify and identify us and our values as Muslims. Uh, so the first one is Shahada, which is the declaration of faith. Then is Salah, which is prayer. Uh, thirdly is Zakat, which is giving back, donating. Uh, then we have fasting, Psalm. And then we have Hajj, last but not least, which is the topic of today, and that is the pilgrimage. Uh, so the pilgrimage is obligatory for those who are able to financially and physically make the journey to the holy city of Mecca at least once in their lifetime. Uh, you know, many people aren't necessarily able to make the journey, but we do hear a lot of heartwarming stories as journalists saving up and others being sponsored, whether it be by the kingdom 
or others that they may know in order to make this ritual and travel to Mecca. So this year, Hajj began on June 26th, will run until July 1st. And we're witnessing Muslims coming from all around the world to travel to Jeddah leading up to the days of the 26th. Then um, they'll make their way to Mecca on 26th. So we're talking about 2 million people taking part wow. in the six-day journey. Wow. So, yep. So this year, preparations were already made to increase the number of pilgrims from the pre-pandemic levels. So actually leading up to the beginning days of Hajj in a press conference led by the Minister of Hajj and Umrah, the kingdom announced that they're prepared to receive 2 million pilgrims this year for Hajj. How does that compare like prior to the uh, coronavirus? I know that it was uh, coronavirus disrupted this whole process uh, and we are kind of back to normal. But are the levels back up to what they were, do you think? I know the numbers have increased and we're steadily reaching the numbers of pilgrimage we wanted. I know uh, in the past, you know, we had around 2 million. And this year, wow. they're expected to have registered 2 million pilgrims that have already arrived um, through Kingdom's Air, land and seaports that are going to be taking part in this hedge season. And uh, you've told us how many people we expect at, in Saudi Arabia, but give us an overview of the hajj in terms of what takes place when the pilgrims actually get there? So I can give you a generalized idea. I'm not going to go too into detail because there are a lot of specifics and I worry this interview might be three or four hours long if we do that. Um, but to give you a general idea, first, the first stage um, of hajj is attaining the state of ihram. So there are certain steps and rituals taken for men and women as well uh, to be able to commit to the act of worship. And that also includes performing a special prayer and saying uh, a certain supplication to be able to attain the state of Haram. So the second stage of Hajj is when pilgrims will reach Mecca. They'll head to the Holy Mosque and circle the Kaaba seven times in a ritual known as Tawaf. And this starts with the black stone. And then the third part of Hajj is the journey to Mina. So this is the first official day of Hajj. It's considered the eighth day of Dhul Hijjah. Uh, pilgrims will head to Mina near Mecca, where they'll spend the rest of the day, which is known as the Day of Tarweeh. Um, here, the Saudi government provides amenities for all the pilgrims, including you know, th thousands of air-conditioned tents, offering temporary housing for pilgrims, uh, food, water, anything that they might need for their journey that they're staying there. The fourth step in Hajj is the travel to Mount Arafah. So on the second day of Hajj, also known as the ninth day of Dhul Hijjah, uh, pilgrims travel to nearby Mount Arafah. Pilgrims complete Duhur prayer and Asr prayer, which is the noon and afternoon prayer. And they'll stay there supplicating uh, and asking for forgiveness. And one of the aspects that I do remember, one of my fond memories of covering Hajj as a journalist is when you go there, you can sort of sense the emotions from people. Um, it's so beautiful how everyone's kind of connected during this phase and you're hearing people um, asking for forgiveness, making supplications, and it's truly such a heartwarming scene to witness. Um, and the fifth area of Hajj is heading to Muzdalifah. Now, Muzdalifah is located between Mina and Arafah. After sundown, pilgrims begin traveling to Muzdalifah, and it's at this point that they're going to perform Maghrib and Isha prayers. Now, these are the evening prayers in Islam. There are five main prayers in Islam, and these two are the ones that are going to be performed in Muzdalifah. Uh, that's when they'll spend the night sleeping on the ground in the open space. And what's really heartwarming about this is you'll witness people reading the Quran, which is the holy book in Islam. You'll witness people making supplications, groups of people gathering to recite the Quran. And it's it's so beautiful to witness. I remember one of my fondest memories, um, I think from last year, was I saw an elderly woman. She was a Saudi woman reading the Quran out loud to a 
of speak Arabic. And I thought it was so beautiful that she was reciting to them and they were all listening in this in this group. And it just shows how Hajj connects us all. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter your wealth status. We all come together in this spiritual journey. And it's such a beautiful thing to witness. Or where um, they come from too, right? I mean, because exactly. uh, do we know how many people come uh, for the Hajj from around the world? I think we're expecting over 90 countries to be participating wow. in this year's pilgrimage. So we're talking, you know, like I said, over 1.6 million as of right now. So I know that Saudi Arabia only makes a very, very small percentage of that. So it's really beautiful to see people coming from different countries. And this group that I mentioned that was sitting and hearing the Quran being recited by this elderly woman, uh, they happened to be from Bangladesh. And it was such a beautiful thing to witness. They didn't understand each other's language, but they understood that they're all coming here in the spiritual bond of values and faith. And there's something just so heartwarming about that, genuinely. Um, and then, so the sixth step, I think we were at number six, the sixth step in performing Hajj is before the sun rises, uh, you'll witness pilgrims traveling back to Mina to stone uh, Jamrat al-Aqbab. This ceremony symbolizes the stoning of the devil. So pilgrims throw seven consecutive pebbles at the special stone monument called Jamrat al-Aqbab. And it's a very emotional part of Hajj. I remember we captured a few images last year of um, people in tears as they were recollecting, you know, things that have taken place in their lifetime. And it, it's such a very important ritual. And, and being there, it does seem hectic if you see the videos and loud, but it, it's it's truly just a genuine moment in Hajj where people kind of release everything in, in, in this stoning of the devil, devil um, ritual that's taking place. And the last step uh, is, there are multiple steps in the last step, but I'll give you a bit of a summary. Um, this is where people head to the Grand Mosque. So pilgrims go to Haram, which is the Grand Mosque in Mecca, uh, to make the law. So worshippers return to Mina to spend three nights, uh, also known as Tashriq, three nights of Tashriq, to throw the pebbles and also the stoning. Uh, so at the end of the third days, then pilgrims return to Mina and spend the night there in prayer and supplication, reading the Quran. And yeah, there's a couple more steps, but that's a pretty much a, a general summary of what takes place during Hajj. How many days do people usually stay there when they get there for this? So it's a six-day uh, ritual that takes place. So this year it's from the 26th to July 1st. Uh, you were talking about the many steps that uh, the pilgrims go through during the Hajj. Do they all start the process at the same time? Like on Monday they do this, Tuesday they okay. do this, or is it based on when they get there and you walk through the process? You know, so majority you'll see people... Uh, with Arab news coverage, what we do is we show these videos. We're highlighting these videos, and it shows you know millions of people walking together. And I do want to mention that the Saudi government does a really good job of facilitating facilitating everything to make sure there's safe passage. But yes, everyone travels together. You'll see crowds of people joining together um, from the rituals to prophet wow. uh, to to kind of follow the the journey of the prophet peace be upon him, the journey that he made. So people will do that in order from sunrise to sundown and. It's just such a beautiful thing to witness, seeing everyone together. And then I know in Islam, uh, they have a great respect for men and women. Um, and they are uh, separated sometimes during the prayer for very important reasons in terms of self-respect and modesty and everything. Tell us about uh, how men and women are treated during the Hajj. So one thing I really love about Hajj, Hajj is I think... Hajj gives a perfect example and highlights the values that Saudi Arabia has. And all these values are sourced and originate from the values of Islam, from the five pillars I discussed previously. 
So women and men that come to perform Hajj are guided, protected, and cared for genuinely. Um, you know, I was blessed enough to be able to perform Hajj five years ago, and I experienced it firsthand. And these past years as a journalist covering Hajj, I've been able to witness it. I've been able to witness um, police officers, soldiers, security, volunteers, handing out water, giving out umbrellas, making sure that everyone's taken care of in the heat. Um, you know, in Mecca, we're talking about an average temperature of 110 to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. So you can imagine everyone walking out in the sun. And it's just genuinely they protect them. They care for them. And it's it's, it's a very beautiful thing to witness the humanitarian stories behind Hajj, of people connecting with each other. It's very nice to see. And and do the men and women all do this together or do they do it in like separate groups? So there are private groups that facilitate Hajj for everyone. Um, so the tents and overnight, any kind of sleeping, there's women that are separated, men that are separated, um, just because there is such a wide number of people that are going to be in attendance. Um, but the hedge rituals are usually taken care uh, together. So you'll witness people, uh, you know, walking through Mina together, doing the different um, facilities facilitating the different steps of hedge together but anything overnight or sleeping the people do it separately and i know that uh, the uh, saudis uh, are very obviously involved so many preparations as you, as you've already discussed all the things that saudi arabia does to host the hajj um, but i remember last year they established female guards which were uh first time ever as if i recall correctly um and then i read a story about uh the uh, Saudi Girl Scouts were going to be involved. Do you, can you tell us about any of that and the different uh, components that go into this? It sounds like a massive operation to accommodate 2 million people um, over a seven-day period. That is a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of people that have to be involved to make this happen. No, it's exactly what you said. It, it is a lot of people and there's a lot of prep that goes into it. I mean, hedge preparations are, are year round, you know, from what we've witnessed and what we write and see as journalists, it's a year round process from organizing, taking care of pilgrims and making sure that the journey is as you know easy for them as possible because hedge is a difficult journey, you know, but what the Saudi government does is they really aid in facilitating that. And one of the topics I do want to highlight, like you said, is the Saudi scouts and their role in hedge. Um, I remember last year we had the opportunity to go on ground and interview some of the male Saudi scouts, and they got to share their stories of how they're helping people, um, their role, the different languages they speak in guiding the pilgrims. Um, but one thing I noticed is about the Saudi scouts is they're very passionate. They're very passionate about helping people and aiding them. This isn't just a volunteering role that they're casually doing. No, they take it to heart. This is something that some of them say, you know, they're very honored and blessed to have this opportunity to represent Saudi Arabia, to come and aid these pilgrims on their journey, this once in a lifetime journey. Um, and it's not easy for the Saudi scouts either, but they do it with such pride and such honor. And, and they're very passionate about it. Um, you know, some of their main objectives are helping pilgrims in a way, any way that they can, you know, whether that be guiding the pilgrims and distributing guidance maps, distributing water, umbrellas, keeping the pilgrims cool in the summer heat where temperatures, like I said, reach 115 on an average day. So this year, as you said, there is an increase in Saudi scouts, especially female Saudi scouts, and a number of the volunteers is expected to only increase over the upcoming years. Um, so these Saudi scouts go through intensive training programs to, able to, to be able to aid the programs properly. 
whether that be, you know, the different stages of Hajj, whether that be the locations, the amenities, everything that's taken care of them, they're the ones to go to. And they're they're pretty well trained to know everything and anything under the sun when it comes to Hajj preparations. Um, this year, actually, the Saudi Girls Committee volunteers in uh, servicing programs at King Faisal Hospital in Mecca. And they're working closely alongside the Ministry of Hajj and Umrah to be able to guide the pilgrims in a very close cooperation. And I know I can't imagine anybody in the world today without a cell phone. And I assume that technology plays a major part in helping to coordinate everything, uh, helping to alert people. Um, can you give us an idea in terms of how technology is being used during the Hajj? So each year, what the Ministry of Hajj is doing is they make an effort to advance technology as much as possible in order to be able to ease the journey for pilgrims. Uh, so one of the newest launches of Hajj this year was the launch of Muslik Hajj. So this platform is in seven different languages and allows pilgrims from Europe, America, Australia, and more than 58 countries to apply directly for Hajj 2023. So a lot of these services in Muslik Hajj include flights, accommodation, transportation, catering, um, pilgrim guides, uh, payment services, technical support, and uh, hedge smart cards. So there's, it's really an app that does everything for them. And it's just one of the initiatives that are taking place by the Ministry of Hajj and Umrah in order to develop hedge um, te technology as much as they can each year. Um, another advancement I do want to highlight is the work being done by Sadaya. So for those that don't know, Sadaya is the Saudi Data and Artificial Intelligence Authority. Um, so alongside the Ministry of Hajj and Umrah, each year they intensify the work that they're doing uh, in cooperation with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, in cooperation with the Ministry of Hajj and Umrah, to be able to provide technical support and security control services uh, in between borders to ins ensure smooth and safe access for programs. So there's really a lot that's taking place in terms of technology. And these two are just two of them, like two of the newest additions of technological advancements. And I, I, I think you touched on a little bit about accommodations there for the Hajj pilgrims um, at the two mosques, correct? The Prophet's Mosque at Medina or the Grand Mosque in Mecca um, and, and health concerns and things. You had so many people, um, anything could almost happen. And, and I have to tell you, I can't imagine any other event that is like this where people come from all around the world, they speak different languages and all there for the same purpose. And then they're greeted by a country that does everything possible to make sure that this process goes so smoothly. I mean, it's amazing. Every time I hear this story every year, um, it's just phenomenal. But uh, can you talk a little bit about the accommodations? Uh, assuming that there are doctors and nurses in the event of the need so yes, as a matter of fact, there are medical professionals throughout the journey of Hajj, um, throughout the seven different steps of Hajj, not only doctors and nurses, but, you know, last year we were fortunate enough to sit down with some of the paramedics, some of the senior medical school students that were in their residencies, uh, and they were providing treatment for the pilgrims all through the journey of Hajj. It's, it's genuinely wonderful to see these young Saudi women and men stepping up to take their health profession and care for the pilgrims coming from all around the world, speaking all sorts of different languages, sometimes just communicating by sign and pointing to the areas um, that their pain are affected and um, they really go all out and beyond. One thing regarding uh, housing, regarding uh, air conditioning, regarding food quality, regarding water, this is all overseen by the Ministry of Hajj and Umrah very, very closely. Um, in a press conference uh, that was hosted by the Ministry of Hajj and Umrah leading up to Hajj, 
the minister said, and I quote, we will apply penalties on companies which do not comply with agreements they concluded with pilgrims. So they oversee everything. Um, most of the time, these pilgrims are in these tents, very, very large tents that are air conditioned. They're provided all the meals they need, um, fruits, vegetables, proteins, everything that they may need, and lots of water in order to take uh, control of the journey. And I do want to emphasize, this is very, very closely watched by the Ministry of Hajj and Culture. You know, as journalists, we've covered um, we've covered a lot of these situations. You know, we've witnessed some some private companies that didn't directly comply with these uh, set rules and procedures set by the ministry. Um, and then the ministry has to intervene in order to care of the pilgrims. pilgrims excuse me. Um, so, yeah, this is a major, major aspect that I know the ministry does care for intensely from what we've been covering as journalists. And then uh, just a couple final questions. Do you think uh, you've been covering this for a number of years? And uh, uh, for our listeners, again, I just want to remind them that we are talking with uh, Arab News reporter Lema El-Hamawi, who has covered this so many times in the past. Um, does the West, do you think, understand the significance of the Hajj to Muslims? Do you think there's an understanding on their part? It's so complicated and detailed. I mean, the summary I gave was just a few a few points of the seven different steps, you know, but uh, like you said, there's so many details, there's so many intricate steps that take place within Hajj, the rituals and the procedures. Um, when you ask this question, there's, there's a few responses that come to mind when I first think about the question. You know, I believe just like other, just like all other faiths outside of Islam, whether we're talking about Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, Buddhism, and beyond, there's more, always more awareness and education that can be spread. You know, there's always so much more that we can learn from each other's religions. Um, you know, for me personally, I grew up in Texas. I grew up in the West. Um, so the Muslim community obviously understood what Hajj is. They understood the procedures. But outside of the Muslim uh, community, I think it's still sort of a taboo topic that maybe isn't understood fully, isn't understood the importance of Hajj and the rituals that take place. Um, I remember from when I was in high school, we did have a course within history where we discussed religious studies and the topic of Hajj came up and only maybe two people in a class of 26 understood what it was. So I think there's wow. always, always more knowledge that can be spread. There's always more understanding that can be spread. And I do want to emphasize again, there's always more that we can do, you know, to understand each other's face, to understand each other's rituals and religions. At the end of the day, this all sources back to tolerance, understanding and mutual respect between each other. And it all starts with having these sort of conversations similar like this. Lemma, I have to say that you're a great journalist because you have provided so much detail about the Hajj that uh, I even understand it even a little bit more than I have. And I've covered this for many, many years. Um, and it's just been a pleasure to have you on the radio show. It's so nice to have you on. And we look forward to talking to you again sometime. So I want to thank you. Thank you so much for right now. I want to thank you for this opportunity. It's so important to have these sort of conversations, to break these boundaries, to understand each other fully. And yeah, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank my guest, Arab News Journalist Lemma Al-Hamawi, who joined us to talk about the Hajj this week and the role that Saudi Arabia plays in hosting it every year. I'm Rehan Ania. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. 
Were you recently at the emergency room, urgent care, or at your doctor's office being told you need a hand, wrist, or elbow specialist? At the Katranji Hand Center, we offer the latest techniques in hand, wrist, and elbow care. From sports injuries to work injuries to everyday hand, wrist, and elbow problems, the specialists at Katranji Hand Center are here to get you back on track. Call us in Troy today at 248-869-4263 or visit us at katranjihandcenter.com to schedule your appointment today. Kashat's Mediterranean Market in Shish Kebab offers a great array of your favorite Mediterranean meals. Meals range from lamb specialties, shawarma sandwiches, and seafood dinners. Plus, they offer big trays of your favorite food and so much more. Kashat's Mediterranean Market in Shish Kebab is located at 32839 Northwestern Highway in Farmington Hills and is open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So stop in or call Kashat's today at 248-538-9552. That number again, 248-538-9552. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab will definitely leave you satisfied. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Naji Abood at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Naji Abood now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design, new location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Naji Abood, 734-744-9796. With more than 30,000 successful in vitro fertilizations, IVF Michigan is now ranked as one of America's best fertility clinics according to Newsweek magazine. IVF Michigan fertility centers are the recognized leaders in high quality fertility care. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and nine other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. A founding member, American Board Certified Dr. Nicholas Shama, is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. He has performed over 20,000 successful IVF cases and it's helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. When it's time to get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at one of America's best fertility clinics, call IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio toll-free at 855-952-9600. 855-952-9600. And now I want to welcome my guest, Imam Mohammed Bashar Arafat, who is based in Baltimore, Maryland. Imam Arafat is the founder and president of Civilizations Exchange and Cooperation Foundation, CECF, which works with the State Department and brings students from 70 plus countries, bringing Muslim, non-Muslim students together to better understand each other. It's a program run by the State Department every year. They come for one uh, academic year, almost 10 months, and they are hosted with different uh, American families all over the United States. We have been welcoming those students to our conferences since 2006. And we just, uh, a month and a half ago, we ended our 50th conference. They are so much needed today to talk about the importance of diversity, especially in the age of 
you know, immigration, the age of uh, refugees, the age of pluralism, the ignorance uh, within the American society toward Islam and Muslims was a lot. And uh, of course, over the years, we are seeing improvement when it comes to dealing with the Muslim community. But uh, I have seen that uh, the students who are coming from Muslim countries to be placed with American families all over the United States for one year, they face a lot of difficulties. So our programs provided uh, cultural and religious uh, adjustment for living in America. And that's what uh, CECF used to do for the YES program. But then things uh, really grow more than that to bring the students from different religions and different ethnicities and different cultures to see the beauty of diversity in the United States and to empower them that when they go back to their countries, hopefully they will take with them these positive aspects we have in our society. Explain to us what this week means what is the Hajj? What is the process? Um, and how important is it in the Islamic religion? It is the most important sacred season after the month of Ramadan. Those who are able to uh, do the physical journey to travel to Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, uh, and to uh, live those few days to commemorate the story of Abraham. Hajj which is the fifth pillar of Islam, is really to commemorate, first of all, the story of Abraham, who, who was tested by Almighty uh, um, when he loved his son so, 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 so much. So God wanted to test him that if I would tell you to offer your son in sacrifice, would you do it? So he had the dream. The story goes that he had the dream and three times the same dream to offer his son in sacrifice. It's about the willingness of the father to offer his son in sacrifice and the response from the son to the father. If that was the will of God, then go ahead. Of course, God did not mean for neither Abraham to uh, hurt his son or Ishmael also to be offered for physical sacrifice. It was just a metaphor that whatever you hold dear to your heart, is it more than your love to God or God is number two or number three? So it's really uh, um, a, an exercise for us to, to remember that God has to be always number one in our life because when he is number one, then all of his commandments will be number one, which means taking care of the neighbors, which means being kind to the strangers, which means taking care of the orphans, which means being nice to the women, which means all of the virtues that we are told about it in our religion that is a confirmation to the teachings of uh, Jesus and the confirmation of the law of Moses. So really, it's a, uh, it's a spiritual exercise to elevate you to another level a spiritual level to constantly observe that God has to be number one in your life. So his commandments, which is for the betterment of society and humanity, uh, also will be uh, number one in order to have a better society. So even today, the tradition of sacrifice, of course, when Archangel came and he brought this sheep for Ishmael to for uh, for Abraham to to offer in sacrifice and instead of Ishmael. This is a tradition today for the people to offer uh, uh, in sacrifice and feed the poor 
and the needy and rejoice their love and commitment to God and God alone. So the Hajj is an expression of that when the someone makes, and they only do it once, once in their so, lifetime, so correct? This, uh, this is the main story. But of course, today, when the Muslims are come, coming from uh, you know all corners of the world to uh, to commemorate this, uh, indirectly also they are having an annual conference, <laughs> an annual convention from all over the world and over the the ages uh, for the last fourteen hundred years. Because this is you know again one of the uh, five pillars of Islam. Uh, when there was no internet and no phones and media as what we have today, Hajj was uh, a, a place to exchange innovations, to exchange ideas and thoughts and uh, anything's happening in, in the East, uh, the people of the West will learn about it during Hajj. Also, Hajj is when, when the people will get together, of course, there are some rituals for people to take off their clothes and be just with a simple white towels uh, for the men. Uh, so there will be no superiority of a king over a beggar. Uh, so the people are to remember that they are equal before Almighty. And also not to touch any perfume and not to even, I mean, to be a, living a very, very simple life in those few days in order to uh, reignite into yourself your love for humanity and your love for those who are uh, next to you coming from different parts of the world. And that's what really made a big change in the life of Malcolm X, <laughs> who who went to Hajj and came back like, what is these teachings of the nation of Islam? That, uh, you know, blacks are superiors or... So there is nothing called you know, uh, race superiority in Islam. Uh, it's really to, to realize that you are the servant of God and you are instructed to reach out to your fellow human being with humbleness and dignity in order to grow together and bridge the divide, whether it is wealth or power or money. or So that's really... The meanings of Hajj. For those who are performing the Hajj in Mecca, they are seeing this by themselves. For us living in America or in Europe or anywhere around the world who are not going there, we are also instructed to uh, uphold these 10 days of the month of Dhul Hijjah, which is the 12th month of the lunar calendar. And Hajj, you know, happens in those uh, for, uh, first, uh, first 10 days. And like today, the 9th of of, uh, of Dhul Hijjah, which is the day of Arafah, where all the pilgrims stand on the mountain of Arafat, engage in prayers, uh, engage in supplication, praying, crying, asking God's forgiveness, asking God's uh, blessings in order to uh, come back and do the work that Abraham, who is the father of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, have done, again, in order to be better human beings themselves, better husbands, better wives, better children, and better neighbors and better uh, uh, fellow human members. And I assume that you have gone on the Hajj yourself. And what is that experience like? What was that experience for you uh, to go to Mecca, um, to go through uh, to Saudi Arabia, to go through this process? What was that like for you? This is really 
uh, a journey of your lifetime that you will never ever forget. Uh, imagine four million people uh, together in one spot. First of all, it's all peace uh, because the Quran says that فَمَنْ فَرْضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجَّ فَلَا رَفَثَ وَلَا فُسُوخَ وَلَا جِدَالَ فِي الْحَجِّ That when you are engaged in the rituals of pilgrimage, you are not supposed to even say any bad words or get into any argument or any quarrels or uh, any troubles, uh, not even just uh, argument for the sake of argument or, or to argue anything. This is not the place of argument. This is not the place of looking down at anybody or saying any vain talks. So that's number one, peace among four million people, you know, standing together. Uh, this is uh, a time where you are praying together, literally with uh, those four million people at the same time, standing together, bowing, prostrating on the ground. It's so powerful. In addition to the, uh, I mean, uh, in addition to the uh, spiritual vibe that you will see around you uh, everywhere, you will really also feel the blessings of Almighty, the forgiveness. You come back with joy, with love, to uh, to do more uh, of what please Almighty, uh, of course, not to mention the uh, the the connections you make with people from all over the world in these best places uh, of the earth, where uh, Prophet Abraham walked and his son Ishmael and and Prophet Muhammad and the disciples uh, of Prophet Muhammad they were there. So really, this is a place for for us to to grow back again to our senses as human beings, as believers, and to remember that our journey on the surface of this earth is very short because that's a day remind you with the day of judgment when the people are going to be resurrected from their graves uh, after the end of, of this life on this earth. So really, uh, to me, this is a journey into the future also to see what will happen after we leave this life. So this is really a time where people uh, review everything that they are doing. Is it worth it to, to be uh, so sad and upset for what happened here or here or there? Look to the real meaning of this life. And, and for non-Muslims and uh, those that are maybe unfamiliar with Islam, and I, I, I think it's a smaller and smaller group. Islam is becoming very well known here in the United States. What is the Eid? I understand that there's an Eid celebration this week. Am I correct or is that mistaken? Actually, it is tomorrow. So it is... Uh, Which is Wednesday for our listeners. Go ahead. Our listener, yes. it is for this year, you know, 2023, it's Wednesday, uh, June 28th. Uh, but it is the 10th day of Dhul Hijjah, of that uh, uh, lunar calendar month. And it is the day when the pilgrims have, you know, finished their uh, standing on the mountain of Arafat and continue doing the rest of their rituals. But that day is when the people offer their sacrifice. And that's when we all gather from, uh, again, uh, all over the world in whatever countries you are. Uh, to leave everything and come to offer Eid prayer. Eid means feast, the feast of sacrifice, to get together with other fellow Muslims and human beings in order to pray together. And it's wonderful to see even people who normally they don't come to the mosque, 
but during the day of Eid, they make sure they come uh, and offer the prayers and meet uh, with everybody. And then, you know, enjoy the, the sweets, enjoy the, the gift, exchanging of the gifts uh, and uh, uh, the, the exchange of the visits among uh, the uh, families and the community members. And this is the Eid al-Adha, correct? It's the most important Eid, isn't it? This is the second uh, Eid because the Muslims have two Eids. The one after Ramadan, after completing and fulfilling the commandment of Almighty to fast the 30 days. Then the first day after fasting is also a feast of breaking the fast, Eid al-Fatr. And this one is the feast of sacrifice after you uh, also went through this journey uh, of uh, uh, spiritual journey to to become a better human being, following on the footsteps of Abraham, you also deserve yeah. a day of feast and a, and a celebration with the rest of the community. I can understand why Malcolm X uh, went turned toward Islam because Islam is a beautiful religion. Uh, the more you hear about it, when you hear about it outside of the context of politics, I think that many Americans tend to come to understand it as a much in a much better, more positive way. Can tell us a little bit about this experience of uh, um, is Islam becoming more acceptable? Do you think in the West, in the United States? And in what ways have we seen this? Because I, the more the Americans learn about it, the more they appreciate the religious, the important religious aspects of Islam and how it even ties to them as Christians or even as Jews. I would like to start by just uh, saying that the Quran is emphasizing over and over and over again that, oh, Muhammad, what we have revealed to you is the same of what we have revealed to Jesus and Moses and all the prophets before you. So it is very important to emphasize that uh, Islam uh, as a religion is really the religion of Adam, uh, the first uh, uh, man created by Almighty and the religion of his wife, uh, he, I mean, uh, Eve. And then the religion of all the prophets. And we are told in the Quran about 24 prophets and Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is the 25th prophet. So being a Muslim is really uh, following on the footsteps of all the prophets. And the Quran is saying, if you believe in Prophet Muhammad and you don't believe in Jesus, your, your Islam is not valid. Or if you don't believe in Moses. So I just wanted to make sure that yes. the people understand that we are talking about one truth, and that is God is supreme, God is one, and we are all the servants of Almighty uh, Ibadullah. Uh, the, so uh, there is no God but God. And Prophet Muhammad is the messenger of God. Jesus is the messenger of God. Moses and all the... So this is what the uh, the, the, the first uh, statement that the people have to believe in their hearts. Because once you believe that, then the one who is next to you is your fellow human beings created by Almighty. And the teachings of the Quran that was explained by the actions of Prophet Muhammad, the last prophet, peace be upon him and all of his brothers of the prophets, emphasize that you cannot be a good Muslim if you are uh, turning your, uh, your face from the one who is next to you, your neighbor, who is hungry, who is sick, and you are not visiting, that you have to be uh, 
uh, a man of peace and a woman of peace. We pray five times a day. That's minimum. We pray in order to stay connected with Almighty. Islam is about being serious, being serious in your relation with Almighty. You cannot say, I'm a good Muslim and, and you don't pray to Almighty. So uh, Islam is about fasting. Uh, once uh, one month in in these 12 months. Islam is about giving out of your savings and whatever God bless you with money to the poor. You cannot be a good Muslim without giving and sharing with what God gave you. And then pilgrimage once in your lifetime to do it, if you can, as the, as the Quran says, many sabila for those who are able to do the journey. But other than, than those five pillars, then you have the characters and the behavior and the spirituality that constantly you are instructed to uh, to grow in your relation with others and your relation with Almighty. And is that becoming more acceptable, do you think, in the United States? I really can tell you for sure, 100%, that between the time I came until now, more than 33 years, I have seen a lot of difference. Just to give you an example, in our state now, uh, just for the last few years, uh, Ramadan uh, is well known and the Eid is becoming an official holiday uh, for the people. I mean, I remember we fought for this for 20 years and just recently it became instated in the old school system. Uh, people in the prisons, when they are you know, there, they have their own places for, to pray, to have halal food. Uh, the uh, employers here in America they understand about head covering for, for women and the scarves. Uh, this is something we are really proud to have, the uh, religious freedom for the Muslim community that is becoming well and well known to the authorities, to the uh, average uh, people, versus when you go to Europe today, until now, uh, you will come across some countries where you know headscarf is... is <laughs> Is, is, is an issue. Here in America, nobody talks about headscarf. Uh, the issue of prayers, the issue of for uh, uh, employees to take off to go for Friday prayers. Uh, so Islam is, is, is becoming more and more accepted in the daily life uh, with, uh, with the American society. And I have seen a lot and a lot of places, really the people are celebrating that they have Muslims in their midst. What, what can Muslims, the final question, though, is what can Muslims do to help uh, continue this uh, path of acceptance, understanding with others um, so that people don't feel threatened? You know, that uh, you that uh, Muslims are no different than Christians and and Jews. We're all the same people. Um, what, what can mus Muslims do to encourage that to become more accepted here in this country? Since I came to this country, uh, I was focusing always on outreach. And I see this is always a challenge for our communities. Because keep in mind, a lot of the Muslim community here are immigrants from different countries. And where they came from, they are not used to hold a lot of projects and a lot of programs. Um, uh, this is needs some training for them. Even, you know, some people they think if we have done it once or twice that's enough <laughs> during the during the year 
To me, it's not enough. It's a constant uh, challenge for us here in this country. We have to do more and more different kinds of programs in the academic institutions, schools, colleges, universities, in the uh, public space by holding some events and invite the people, by understanding the American culture, creating marathons, uh, creating uh, events that the people get together, festivals, talk about Islamic art, because we are very rich when it comes to Islamic art. Go to Spain and see uh, the food. I mean, just celebrate the, the diversity with the food. Not everything has to be talking about religion. That God said, Prophet Muhammad said, the Quran. No, talk about something also of your daily life. And I think the Muslim community is getting better and better in that. But I believe still we need more. That's why in CECF, I mean, Civilizations Exchange, I, I just felt, you know, for me, I, uh, it is very important to get out of the small mosque being imam in the small mosque and to be imam in the bigger mosque because prophet muhammad says the whole earth for me is a mosque and a place where i can do tayammum the the point is that you have to go and interact with the rest of the human family and i mean uh, verse uh, uh, 13 in chapter 49 it says ya ayyuhannas all mankind we created you from a single pair of male and female, and made you into nations and tribes that you may know one another. Uh, the best among you is the one who is the most righteous, not the male, not the female, not the rich, not the powerful, but the one who does more good and virtues to the society. That is the one who is closer uh, to Almighty. That's why we have a whole chapter in the Quran, for example, called Luqman. Luqman uh, uh, all the scholars say that he was an African uh, man in Africa, but he is considered to be, uh, you know, the title of wisdom. We call him Luqmanul Hakim. Uh, the way he was advising his son how to behave and how to live his life and how to interact with people. The, the issue is interaction and outreach. And I think this is our responsibility to constantly do programs that, uh, invite others and to make them feel invited. My guest, Imam Mohammed Bashir Arafat, based in Baltimore, Maryland. Imam Arafat is the founder and president of the Civilizations Exchange and Cooperation Foundation, the CECP. Imam, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Um, and it's such a it's such an informative topic and you've been very helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure and thank you for hosting me. Let's take a quick break here at the U.S. Arab Radio Network. This show is sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. 
Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in her authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248-299-3937. Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from Grandma's, singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired by alcohol or drugs. If you're impaired and you know it, don't drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us here at the Ray Hanania Show, Season 3, Episode 9, where we really kind of took a deep dive into the Hajj and the importance of uh, it to Muslims and also looked at the growing acceptance of Muslims in the United States among Americans. I hope you enjoyed today's radio show, Focus on the Hajj, with our guest, Lema Al-Hamawi, a reporter with Arab News who discussed the mechanics and experience of the Hajj that is now taking place in Saudi Arabia and who explored the massive operation that is required to accommodate and provide food, water, assistance, and places to stay during the week-long religious event for more than 2 million pilgrims. And in segment two, we spoke with Imam Mohammed Bashir Arafat, the founder and president of Civilizations Exchange and Cooperation Foundation, CECF, which provides religious and cultural training, consultation, and support to the Youth Exchange Studies Program for students from more than 70 countries in a program co-sponsored by the U.S. State Department. Imam Arafat talked about the Hajj, its meaning, and helped us look at how the Muslim community has grown and achieved greater acceptance from Americans. I hope you'll join us next week when we discuss another important topic to the Arab American and Muslim community. I'm Ray Hanania. Have a great week.